Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this first Sunday of the month of July. It is also good to be with you on this Independence Day weekend. What a weekend of joy and celebration it is. And I do believe we would be remiss to not say one more time to offer our gratitude to our chamber ensemble this morning for leading us in worship. And of course, also to Dr. Brandon Craswell for leading us on the trumpet. And where else are you going to find dueling pianos and organs in worship? <laughs> Ryan and Raina, thank you for such uplifting worship this morning. It is also, I want you to know, the very last Sunday of my first year at Athens First. So what that means is not only have I survived being here, but you've survived me being here, and I think that is worthy of celebration as well. Yeah. yeah. Now this morning, we are in the fifth and final week of our, one of our summer sermon series. It's called Lake Life. And over the past five weeks, what we've been doing is exploring a variety of different stories about Jesus who was doing ministry at the lakeside. Whether it was walking on the water or calling disciples or, or he was uh, calming the storm while sleeping in a boat, uh, over and over and over again, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was at the Sea of Galilee. He was on the lake because that was one of his favorite places to do ministry. I believe that when we look at these stories, what we can discover is what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to be people of faith by looking at these stories about what Jesus teaches us while at the lakeside? Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at stories that have happened on the water, in the water, beside the water. Uh, this is a story this morning that happens next to the water. Uh, because John tells us that before uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, he crossed the lake, he arrived at the shore, they went up on the mountainside, and what I want you to picture is kind of this amphitheater kind of uh, uh, location. It was a place where Jesus could sit, the people could be there listening, and he didn't need a microphone because the, the acoustics in that place with the water behind them were perfect. Listen to how John describes this scene. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples for the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy enough bread for all of these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he had already in mind what he was going to do. So Philip answered him, saying, Lord, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even but a bite. But another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, saying, but here is a young boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, 
but how far will they go among so many? But Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. There was about 5,000 men there. Then Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he then said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, may we be filled with your Holy Spirit this morning. May you open our hearts and our minds and our ears this morning that we may hear a word of hope and a word of life and a word of love that comes directly from you. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. So if there's one thing you've probably kind of figure out about me in the past year that we've been together, it would be the fact that I'm the kind of guy who loves a good story. I love to read good stories. I like to hear good stories. I like to tell good stories. And therefore, if this morning you were to ask me the question, what is your all-time favorite story, I would have a really hard time answering that because there's just so many good stories for us to choose from. But if this morning we were to ask Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the question, what is your all-time favorite story? I feel confident in saying that all of them would respond by saying that it's the story that we just read in John chapter 6. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I know what some of you are thinking already. You're thinking, really? That's the one they would go with? I mean, why would they go with that story? After all, there's dozens of other stories in the Gospels, really good Jesus stories. So, so what makes that one so special? But I think there's actually two reasons why they would pick this story. The first is because other than the Easter story, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle story that appears in all four Gospels. Even the Christmas story only appears in, in two of the Gospels. And so just the mere fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all decided to include this story in their Gospels tells us that this must have had a very special place in the life of the early church. But I also think it's because of what this story meant to the early church. Because remember where the early church found so much of its identity. They found it whenever they gathered together at the table, doing the one thing that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The early church found their identity whenever they would partake in this holy meal, whenever they would gather together and, and, and take the bread and bless the bread and break the bread and then give it 
to one another. The early church found its identity at the communion table. Which is why the feeding of the 5,000 was such an important story for them. Because did you notice what Jesus did as soon as he saw the crowd that was hungry? John says that Jesus immediately gathered them together. And that's when he took the bread and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread and then he gave them the bread. In other words, for the early church, this was not just a simple miracle story. This was a communion story. This was a story that had the Lord's Supper written all over it. And so therefore, because that's where they found their identity, this was not only one of their favorite stories to tell one another, it was also one of their most sacred stories. But interestingly, it is also a story that almost didn't happen. Because John says that when Jesus looked out at the crowd of people, the first question he asked is, so where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these folks? To which his disciple Philip said, Lord, are you nuts? I mean, he didn't say it that way, but you know, Essentially, that's what he said. He said, Lord, what, what are you talking about? Are you kidding? I mean, not even half a year's wages would be enough to buy enough bread to give everyone just, you know, a bite of bread to eat. And you want to feed them an entire meal? I mean, that's just not in the realm of possibility. Because A, we don't have enough. And B, we can't afford it. And so therefore, if it had been up to Philip, this may have been one of those miracle stories that never actually happened. Because you see, Philip had uh, the kind of mindset that's sometimes referred to as a, as a scarcity mindset. Uh, meaning that he had the kind of mentality that says, you know, in this world that we live in, we've only got so much. So we need to be careful with it. We need to protect it. We need to be judicious with how we use it because there's only so much to go around. For Philip, he couldn't even conceive of a way that this crowd could possibly be fed a meal. Because in his mind, they just didn't have enough resource. But of course, that is precisely why John reminds us that Jesus was merely testing Philip when he asked him the question, because Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. In fact, for Jesus, what he wanted to ask Philip, essentially, was not how much resource do we have available to use, but how much faith do we have to work with? For Jesus, Philip hadn't figured out who he was yet. For Jesus, he hadn't figured out not only who Jesus was, but also who God is. 
Because throughout the Gospel of John, one of the recurring themes, in fact, one of the major themes, is that who Jesus represents is a God of extravagant generosity. A a God of extravagant abundance when it comes to his people, which is kind of like the, the exact opposite of a scarcity mindset. And so, therefore, the, the question for Jesus, whenever he's, he's about to do a miracle, whenever he's teaching the people, the, ne- the question is never, how much do you have for me to work with? It's always about, how much faith do you have for me to work with? Because to God, that's the only thing that matters. You see, that, that's why the Gospel of John is the only Gospel that tells us that the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding in a village called Cana of Galilee. And if you remember that story, you remember that that at about halfway through the wedding reception, Jesus' mother came up to him and said, listen, Jesus, (laughs) we've got a problem. Uh, The the wedding party, we've run out of wine, and this is a problem, so I need you to do something about it. So Jesus did something about it, and Jesus turned water into wine. But for John, the miracle of that story was not just the fact that Jesus had the power to turn water into wine. That's all well, fine, and good. But for John, it's not just that he could do it, but rather it was how he could do it. Because remember how the story goes. Jesus called some of the servants over, and he pointed to six large stone jars, and he said, I want you to take these jars and to go fill them with water. And so they did. And how much water did each large stone jar contain? John says each one was 30 gallons each. So when Jesus finally turned all of that water into wine, how much wine did he produce for the wedding party to drink? Well, it was equivalent to 921 modern-day bottles of wine, which I know some of you are thinking, that's far too much wine for any one group of people to drink. And then there are others of you here this morning who are thinking, sounds like a challenge to me. (laughs) But for John, the point is this. It was a miracle of extravagant abundance. And four chapters later, we find ourselves in a similar position. Because there was a group of people, John says, that were hungry, and yet there was no food. And so Jesus asked the question, what should we do? And Philip speaks up and he says, there's nothing we can do, Jesus. We don't have enough. Which once again tells us that Philip has not figured out who Jesus is just yet. Because a couple of minutes later, the solution to the problem came walking by, says John. The solution came in the form of a little boy who just so happened to have a lunch with him made up of five small loaves of bread and two small fish. Now notice that John doesn't tell us anything about this little boy. He doesn't give us his name. He doesn't tell us his age. We don't know where he's from. We don't know who his parents are. We know nothing about this boy's background. What we can assume, however, is that he was poor. The reason why is because he was carrying a poor person's lunch. 
Because, you see, he was carrying with him uh, five small loaves of bread, which were about the size of a half dollar. And he was also carrying two small, dried-out sardines. So, in other words, this was not enough food to barely fill the belly of a little boy, never mind to feed a bunch of other people. And so you can imagine the confusion on the little boy's face when Andrew, the disciple Andrew, comes up to him and says, uh, hey, your lunch, can we borrow that? <laughs> because you see, um, Jesus wants to feed not only you, but the 4,999 other people who are also here. Now, if the little boy had had a, a, a mindset like Philip's, he might have been reluctant. He might have even been resistant to the idea, saying, oh, listen, it's nice of you to ask, but clearly this is far too little to feed so many. But that's not what happened, says John. No, John says that this little boy offered everything he had for Jesus to use. In other words, he basically said, Jesus, this may not be much, but it's all yours. To say it another way, he offered Jesus everything he had in faith. And in so doing, what he learned that day is one of the most important things we will ever learn as Christians, and that is that we serve a God of extravagant abundance. Because you see, the God we serve, his specialty is taking our not much and turning it into a miracle. Our God's specialty is taking that which is small, unimpressive, and imperfect. And yet when it's offered in faith, his specialty is taking it and filling our cup to overflowing. In fact, one of the things that you notice in the story about how God represents this extravagant abundance is just in the way that the meal is offered to the people. Because notice that the people don't, don't come up to Jesus with their hands out, and Jesus says, now, now, I'm just going to give you a little bit. just going to give you a little bit here because I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to get around to the whole group. I mean, there's like 5,000 people here. So if at the end, if there's any left over, you can come back for seconds. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh That is not the way it worked, John says. No, John says that the people ate all they want, wanted. And once all of the people were satisfied, how many baskets full were left over? John said there were 12 basketfuls left over after feeding the 5,000. Why? Because it was a miracle of extravagant abundance. And that's the kind of God we serve. And yet sometimes it's easy for us to forget that because we live in the kind of world that's often run by a bunch of Phillips. Meaning it's the kind of world that reminds us of the scarcity that exists 
We live in the kind of world that's always saying, hey, now listen, there's not, there's not enough to go around, so make sure that we're, we're careful, we protect it, we're judicious, make sure that you kind of protect what you've got, because that's all we got to work with. But what we forget is that is not the way God works. What God wants us to do is to offer what we can in faith, and he can multiply it beyond our wildest dreams if we're willing to offer it in faith. It's easy to forget that sometimes. But every now and then, uh, you come across a really good story that reminds us that that's the way God works. For instance, a couple years ago, I came across a story about a school down on the south side of Dallas, Texas. It's called Dade Middle School. And because you probably don't know anything about Dade Middle School, uh, this is not only one of the poorest schools in the state of Texas, it is also one of the most poor performing schools in the state of Texas. And um, most of the teachers and the administration at the school their struggle is not just with grades, it's keeping the kids from dropping out. Their, their, their goal every single day is to show up and, and to, to, to help these kids realize the value of what it would mean to stay in school, to get your diploma, to graduate. That's the challenge that they have every day at Dade Middle. And so in, in an effort to try to emphasize this staying in school and trying to create some relationships that can help remind them of the value of their education. Dade decided that they were going to have one Monday morning a little thing called Breakfast with Dads. And really it was just going to be a great way to, to encourage the students. It was actually just for the middle school boys, and so it was a great opportunity to kind of uh, encourage the boys, support the boys, have their dads come in and just kind of be there for them. But of course, the only problem is the administration would tell you they weren't sure that they were going to get a lot of dads to show up. In fact, their fear was that they were going to have way more middle school boys show up than they would their dads. So what they decided to do is they called a local minister who also happened to be on the school board there in Dallas. And they asked them the question, they said, hey, listen, we're going to do this breakfast with dad's things at Dade. Is there any way you could ask some of the guys at your church to show up that morning? Uh, could you ask some of the guys, whether it's in the church or in the community, to just show up and kind of be there for these kids that really need a male figure in their lives? The minister said, yeah, I'd be happy to do it, but like how many people are we talking about here? And they said, we probably need at least 50. And he said, you, you want me to get 50 guys on a Monday morning show up for breakfast with a bunch of strange middle school boys they've never met before? I'm not sure that we're going to be able to do that. But we certainly will try. So the Sunday before, they, they made the announcement in church, and they even have a prayer about it. That afternoon, they put it on the church Facebook group so that people could share it. And then the next morning came the breakfast. You want to guess how many guys showed up that morning? 600. 600 men who decided that if these middle school boys' dads couldn't be there for them, we will be. 
And in spite of the fact that they weren't expecting that many people to show up for the breakfast, the administration said the, the event was amazing and it went off without a hitch because not only did it give a chance for the, the middle school boys to get to know the men, but it gave a chance for the men to get to know the boys and they started to build relationships. Not only that, but um, they even had some moments at the breakfast where they did some kind of like life lessons kind of um, sessions. So like for instance, they, they had a, a session where they taught the men, taught the boys how to tie a tie. They also had a session where they just taught the boys how to like shake hands and look in somebody's eyes. It was like little things that we sometimes associate with dads doing for their kids. They said, we did that all morning long and it was a really, really, really good morning of love, support, and encouragement. And it was all because 600 men decided to offer themselves in faith and they allowed God to use them. In the same way that a little boy offered Jesus five loaves and two fish and said it may not be much, but it's all yours. 600 men, which of course is an interesting number when you think about it. Because remind me, how, how many baskets full of bread were left over after that miracle? John says there were 12. And of course, the original amount of men that they were hoping to get at the breakfast was 50, but they ended up getting 600. So how many times more men did they get at the breakfast than what they were hoping for? 12 times, 12 times what they originally hoped for. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, he's a preacher, he's probably making this up. <laughs> but you can go home and Google it. Go home and Google Dade Middle School, Dallas, Texas, Breakfast with Dads. I promise you, you will find plenty of news stories that tell a story about 600 men that sh showed up when they were expecting 50. It's also a reminder to us that that's who God is. That we serve a God of extravagant abundance whose specialty is taking our little and turning it into a lot. God's specialty is taking that which is meager and being able to feed the multitudes. Indeed, when a little bit of faith is involved, God can take our not much and he can turn it into a miracle. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.